People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their best seller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blanket. I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest 100% organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply, see site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey Iz. Hi Em. Can I tell you my favorite moment from any episode this entire week? I'd love to hear it. Okay, it actually came in the form of a preview, which was at the end of Summer House when we got that maybe 10 second clip of Carl and Lindsay in the car together and also them standing at Amanda and Kyle's wedding. Let me tell you something. I felt something. That whole mid-season trailer really got me excited because I almost felt like the best had already happened or was happening right now. But the things coming ahead is like, this is like one of the best seasons ever. I'm prepared to go on record and say that, in my opinion, this is the best season of Summer House they've ever had, hands down. Because the infusion also of all the other characters, like it's not so nuclear in the Summer House family. It's like, it's the best thing ever. Say what you want about Lindsay. I understand she may have some toxic traits. She was made for this. She gives zero fucks. Zero fucks. And that's exactly how you want your reality stars to be. It's the only way they can be. And you need someone like Lindsay in every single cast. Somebody DM'd this to us, and I actually think it's the best idea ever, is that she, maybe in a couple years, should be a Real Housewives of New York. I would support that wholeheartedly. She'd be so good. She'd stir the pot. She'd have fun. She knows how the how it all goes. Like, it would be amazing. Well, it's interesting to think about just as a concept, like the Summer House or Southern Charm to Housewives pipeline. You know how <laughs> – I'm just saying like if that's a potential possibility because think about it. Leah McSweeney 10 years ago could have totally been a Summer House cast member. Not totally. that I'm a huge fan of hers in general, but she could have done it. Sonia Morgan back in the day, I would have watched the shit out of that. <laughs> oh, my God. Would have watched the shit out of that. <laughs> Sonia Morgan on Summer House. Okay, so Miami, Salt Lake City, Summer House, Jersey, touching on OC. Sound good? Yep, let's do it. Starting off in Miami, this was another one we were just talking before we got on here. So much fun to watch. I was glued to my TV. I wouldn't say there was the most drama to analyze, but still incredible. I'm telling you, there's just something about these Miami episodes that boosts my serotonin level out of control because the editing and these women, the, the looks, 
the everything, like even the behind the scenes, there's one point where they're showing Larsa in the trailer yelling at Lisa for not having her back. I could watch that all fucking day. Specifically because I do find Larsa and Lisa's relationship to be really interesting. Yes, I agree with you. It is interesting. The other thing that I was really picking up on, and tell me if you think this is accurate or if I was just making it up in my head, I felt like Andy was really enjoying himself. Oh, he was like giddy. And I love when he gets in that mood. It didn't feel like another day. Something about this felt different. He They took a shot of tequila in the beginning. He was so just happy. He was happy to be there. He was getting such a kick out of these women. And you can feel that energy and it really translates because I think he, like the rest of us, feel like Miami is such a breath of fresh air. And these women are just so damn good at what they do without even trying. And even even just him fangirling around Martina and Everterola and like asking Julia, you think you guys would come on the show? I can't believe he, she's on. When I heard that her wife would maybe be a housewife, I couldn't believe it. Those kind of moments where he thinks it's cool too is when you really sit back and you're like, okay, we're not wrong here. No, we're not wrong. But I think it's not only a comment on the franchise in general and how entertaining it is. I think also there are moments when Andy kind of has a realization of what he's helped to build. You Mm -hmm. know, like I'm sure that that was a really validating moment for him that Julia would even agree to come on the show because on some level, I still think he views housewives as kind of gimmicky, probably the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Yes, I I totally know what you mean. But even when he says that the fans were such a huge part of this show coming back, like I think that's exciting to know that everybody actually cares and the audience that will be watching this reunion is is responsible for the resurrection of the show and will be so into it and not maybe critique it as hard because we're just so appreciative to have it. It happens to also be absolutely incredible. Yeah. Well, it's also just good to know in general that not to say that your voice can be heard by Bravo, but that, you know, you make enough noise as the audience about a particular show and it's possible. Right. I know that is, that is good. I want to talk about Adriana and Larsa for a second, because we've seen this back and forth the entire season. And we've repeatedly said that they're kind of both in the wrong. They both handle it really shitty. And again, not that I'm a diehard Larsa fan in the slightest, but I felt this conversation about her body was just not fun to watch and in really poor taste kind of to everyone on the couch. I agree. I think we have constantly said it's a weird reunion question and I Mm -hmm. don't really get why they still do it. I mean, I think Larsa almost feels like a caricature. So it feels like, oh, of course we could ask about her body. Like she puts it out there. She talks about it all the time. She poses her OnlyFans. But at the end of the day, it's not really right as much as we do talk about it. I I just like... Yeah, she's like probably lying, but also that's not really our place. It's just like the whole thing was very, I don't know. It's interesting that they still go there. I think to me, it's just like if I was sitting on that couch, there's so many other things to come at Larsa for, like genuine critiques about her lack of emotional intelligence and the way that she makes people feel that it's not only a cheap shot. I think it makes everyone else look worse in the process. But I will say the thing about Larsa is she handles getting these questions thrown at her very well. Like Mm -hmm. weirdly, regardless of her answer, I think she just stays calm, cool, and collected. And she sort of lets everything roll off her shoulders. Larsa has two modes. Either she's like super chill or she gets like a little, you know, worked up crazy a la 
at the dinner table when she makes the out of wedlock comment like that. Those are her only two modes. And so far in this reunion, obviously she get, does get worked up, but when she's getting a lot of things thrown at her, she really does seem chill. She's, she's very calm most of the time. And I do think that works to her advantage because especially when you're arguing with someone like Adriana, the calmer Larsa stays, the more annoyed and pissed off Adriana's going to get. And Larsa's very aware of that. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think Larsa uses that sort like, not as a tactic, but I think that she just feels like it's cooler to not care. And that's mm-hmm. also probably a lot of the energy that Adriana gets where she feels like, oh, you, you think you're so much better than me. Mm-hmm, totally. Which, as we've seen throughout the last few episodes, some of that may absolutely be real. Like, I'm sure she does have a condescending way in the way that she speaks. At the same time, some of it is just insecurity on Adriana's behalf. Oh, also, I would like to issue a correction. Mm-hmm. We have been referring to Larsa on Courtney's 40th birthday trip incorrectly. It was mm-hmm. actually just a girl's trip they took to the Turks and Caicos, season 17. Episode six. I'll put the link again in our description because I cannot recommend watching this episode enough after you've watched Miami. I watched it again recently and like it's absolutely mind blowing and crazy now to watch it like re knowing Larsa. But I just had to say it was not Courtney's 40th birthday trip. Wait, if it wasn't Courtney's 40th birthday, why were people so pissed at Larsa for like not understanding that Courtney just wanted to chill and, and you know what I mean? Because Courtney took everyone on this girl's trip. They were in Turks and Caicos. It was like Malika, it was her push team. It was Chloe came. It was such a big deal that Chloe came because she never comes on these girls' trips. Courtney must take all the time with this crew. They're all mad at Courtney for not, quote, standing up to Larsa and saying, actually, I don't really want to do that. And just like letting Larsa dictate what the plan is. Like, I think Courtney's exact words were, we haven't even put our bags down yet. And Larsa's already talking about these guys that they want to come over and hang out with and go out with later. Right. Okay. Okay. Yes. I'm remembering now. Wow. It's just, it, it actually, when you think about it, is really like an episode of Housewives that trip because it's a bunch of girls on a vacation and the dynamics of what's going on. And then Larsa and Sarah Howard getting into a whole fight because of the way that Sarah came and was like, someone's crying in the bathroom. And Larsa's like, who the fuck cares? And they get into a whole thing. Like it's truly a Kardashian housewife episode. Which is kind of rare. We don't get ones that often that have that energy. I think that's a really good way to put it. Wow. It's literally Kardashian ultimate girls trip. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The story about Julia's son was absolutely heartbreaking. Oh my God. Like just when you thought it couldn't get just crazier, finding out the details of really what went on and how this is a huge, bigger picture thing is, I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like this has got to be one of the craziest things we've ever heard. Definitely that we've ever heard on a reunion. I mean, you saw Andy's reaction and the rest of the women. I felt like the air kind of left the room. You know, you could hear a pin drop. People were just so fascinated and horrified by what she was saying. And I cannot believe that she's able to tell that with the amount of composure that she has. Because, I, I mean, it's literally the most difficult thing a person ever can go through in their life. I agree. I think she just told the story so well and without breaking down, which was really admirable. And I also echo their sentiments that 
she has gone through, like you said, probably the worst thing that a parent or anyone could go through. And she still is such this happy, cheery, vibrant, good vibes woman who brings such good energy to every room she walks in. And it's like, wow, how are you like that? Like we always say Julia is uh, like not a real person. I know. Well, I always say that you have a choice. It either hardens you or just like makes you super grateful and loving. And I think she's channeled all of her hardships into just being a really loving person, which is obviously the goal, but it's easier said than done. Her just whole backstory about everything is, is fascinating. And I love when people have lived sort of this whole life and then they come here to the show and they bring all of that to like the stage, you know, Mm -hmm. like her perspective and learning more about where she's come from and how that makes her the housewife that she is like that to me is so fascinating with all of them. I want to make a reference and I don't know if these have come up on your for you page on TikTok in the way that they have on mine, but there was this theme a few months ago that was like, housewives I'd feel comfortable being in a bathing suit in front of. Did you see that? (laughs) Right. Which like obviously is stupid in theory because the goal is to be comfortable in front of anyone. Like fuck it. But obviously the reason behind it was like just super girls, girl, no judgment. To me, Julia is top of that list. Absolutely. Right. Good way to describe it. Yes. I mean, hello. All we say is we want her to just like (laughs) brush brush our hair and tell us it's all going to be okay. I just want her to tell me a bedtime story. I yeah. I, just want, I, mean. I want her to read me Goodnight Moon. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh Wait, when Andy Cohen asks Larsa about future, I thought I was gonna drop dead. No, that is like the pop culture remix that only we could dream of. I was almost wondering if Andy knew how many people's curiosity he was satisfying when asking that, or if it was just on his note card, because I don't know what Andy really cares about in all of this. You know, like, did he have an interest in the future Larsa thing or does he just know to care because people thought it's interesting? I know. Like, do you understand the gravity of that question? I also thought it was so funny and just like, I don't know, again, surprising that they went there with immediately saying how Larsa sounds and has really a lot of like, mannerisms and characteristics of Kim. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, we spend so much time together. We were best friends for 14 years. And he's like, well, you're sitting here and I really feel like you sound exactly like her. Well, that's what was interesting, by the way, that Andy has more credibility than anyone else on the couch in order to even make that comment because he's, of course, spent the most time with Kim. Whereas when Adrian is doing it, you can tell it has a lot of malintent and kind of jealousy. Whereas Andy's genuinely just saying that because he feels that, of course, he's maybe trying to get a rise out of her, but he's making a real comment. I think that the way that she responded to that was actually pretty commendable. She was like, yeah, you know, we were best friends for 14 years. It would only be natural that things rubbed off. I kind of feel like Larsa either has had amazing media training or she should be an example for people going through media training. Because like I said, she lets things just roll off her back. She doesn't get defensive. She gives like such a surface chill answer and satisfies the question. And it's always in her best interest and she moves on. Again, I'm saying she has that mode or the complete opposite. But I have to say when she's in that mode, it is pretty pretty admirable. It's like what I was saying at my dad's birthday, the roll-off method. Right. Right. Roll-off method. (laughs) Okay. Quickly, I want to touch on Nicole and Marisol. I say quickly because I just hate this so much because I like them both so much and I felt like they were really 
getting through it. And then of course at the reunion, everything has to be re-brought up. But I feel like neither of them are actually that charged over it. I guess so. I think Marisol doesn't care or pretends not to care, but really does care. I think she's a little threatened by Nicole. And I think Nicole probably feels like, what the fuck? We were in such a nice place when we were both there to support Alexia when she lost her mother. Why does why do we have to go back here? Like Marisol just brings it back to sort of a mean girl place and wants to I, I can feel her wanting to create the drama where Nicole's showing her ring and Marisol's pretending she can't see it. It says, Oh, congratulations, by the way. And things like that, little digs and also trying to make herself feel bigger. It's a really hard battle for me because I love both of them so so much. And Marisol, I feel like I have history with. She's been one of my favorite housewives since 2007 or whatever it was. And Nicole is one of my favorite newer housewives ever. So it's such a hard balance for me because I do see both sides and I appreciate both energies and I can't pick one. I can't pick one either in terms of like, okay, push comes to shove. If you can only take one with you on a desert island, who are you going to take? I really don't know. Two completely different animals here. But in this particular argument, as much as I adore Marisol, I found myself aligning more with Nicole because I was annoyed on her behalf. I was annoyed. You're right. I was annoyed because I also feel like there's a certain point where we see through Marisol trying to like make this happen and it just not really happening because of how like calm, cool, collected and mature Nicole is. And it's like, oh, Marisol, like sometimes Just being kind and letting the relationship naturally ebb and flow as real life ones do is more interesting than you trying to manufacture it to be some like petty girly housewife drama. I know that's like so silly because that's what we're here to see. And we do love that. Obviously we love that, but there's also a certain point where, yeah, you started off on the wrong foot. You really hated each other, but then life happens. You saw how good of a girl she was when you were going through things together in life. And now you should be able to reflect on your relationship and talk about it. But she came in with this attitude. That's what I didn't like. Exactly. That's what it was. And that's why it feels contrived. Whether or not she actually arrived at the same place, it was her goal going in. And I think, listen, if that was her strategy, fine, but she could have done a better job at concealing it if she wanted the audience to get more on board. Also, by the way, it's so funny when they're having this whole back and forth about whether or not Nicole said that about Lisa's house, where it's like, okay, even if she did, did she lie? The fucking thing looks like, you know, the tackiest museum you've ever seen. Of course, she probably said that and meant it. I can't even believe anybody thinks that like she wouldn't say that. That's the thing. But who the fuck cares? Even Nicole says like, this is how petty we are. We're arguing over interior design. I'm the biggest interior design snob. If I've been in your house, I've probably talked shit about it. And that's fine. It does not reflect what I think about you as a person, what I think about anything. So Nicole who now it makes a lot of sense also getting that detail that she is working with like a builder or some designer who is Marisol's high school friend. Of course, the conversation comes up when they're talking about the building her home and Lisa's home or who they've worked with. Like it makes complete sense. And Lisa's sort of just an innocent bystander sitting there while they're taking shots about her house. And she's like, whoa, how did I end up here? But listen, <laughs> wait, like, wait, wait. You, you've seen Lisa Hoxine's house. I, I mean, it's she's one of the most expensive homes in Miami. She's on Star Island. It's super elite. It's her taste. That's okay. Not everyone has to like it. You look at their two homes side by side, they're, 
They're absolute opposites. Clearly they have different tastes. That's okay. That doesn't, to me, count as like shit talking. <laughs> wait, what you just said about Lisa being like, wait, what I do? The exact same energy of Jen Shaw when everybody's fighting over who was a worse friend to her. <laughs> She's like, yes. wait a second. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's the Nene Leakes classic meme of like, now how am I in it? You see how they always bring me up into it? Like, she's like, why are you even talking about me? Like, I am not in this fight. Stop bringing up my shiny floors and Fendi furniture. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, okay. Is there anything else from Miami you want to mention? No, but I'm telling you, I literally texted Emma during this episode and said, I love these women so much. I cannot even process this season being over. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the season changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies. Let's just call it like it is with Salt Lake City. Obviously, I want to get into every single detail and we will. But you and I turned to each other after watching this and we're like, what the fuck is going on? We need this season to be over. I'm absolutely exhausted. <laughs> Fully, mentally, physically, emotionally. I can't imagine how they all feel. I am so over this. Like It is the definition of beating a dead horse at this point because it, it's so confusing. 
nobody is agreeing on anything. Everybody has an opinion on everything. There's no like clear cut quote storylines. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I watch these and I, it's almost like a chore because it feels like my brain is working so hard. I feel the same way, although I really do think it would have been different if Mary was there. In terms of just the viewing experience, I don't think anything different would have been accomplished, but I think the viewing experience of watching this would have made a lot more sense if Mary was there to advocate for herself or give her rebuttal to some of these points because the fact that a lot of them were almost doing her fights for her, it just contributed to the overall chaos. And I really feel that way. Right. Because everyone was just making points and like broad statements and then they'd make them and there's no way to have a rebuttal. Like there is just like, okay. And like, yeah, Meredith would defend her a little or Lisa would defend. Well, I didn't say that. Or Cameron said this. And it's like, we needed Mary there. You're so right. Because they didn't alter the kind of format and the questions. And also so much of the season revolved around her behavior and things that people had heard about her that it's, it's impossible to avoid. Whereas like in other reunions, I think sometimes, yeah, they bring up things, but they don't make like full segments about it. But she was such an integral part of the drama and conversations of the season. Like we needed answers from her and you could feel the gap in the kind of flow of the reunion. Totally. Also, an anecdote that I wanted to point out was when Meredith said that she got a text from Mary being upset with her for not coming for her defense more at the final party of the year. I I don't know if this, I mean, clearly I was completely off. That was interesting to me because the way that I viewed this whole cast was like, Mary basically says, fuck you to all of them, doesn't really care about them. But with Meredith, not only does she care, I felt like Mary put Meredith on a pedestal. Like she would never really mm-hmm. come for her. And so not that she came for her, but even the fact that she called her out for something, just as a friend, like I didn't feel good that you didn't defend me. It went against what I thought my view was. So I'm glad that I had that to kind of bring me back to reality. Me too. That was not really how I viewed their friendship. I also didn't think it was actually that deep. Like I thought a lot of it had to do with like show dynamics and that they, I don't know, were on like a team together. But it's also crazy because- Think about how much Meredith throughout the season has gone to bat for Mary. I mean, literally every single thing she has defended Mary in a lot of ways when Mary was indefensible and really gone to bat against like some of her closest friends, a la Lisa, Jen, like all these people. So then for Mary, like the one time I guess Meredith doesn't defend her, I would be so annoyed if I was Meredith. I know. And she kind of breezed over it. I think that Meredith, listen, we watched the way she handled this reunion. She played the game. Even Andy kind of cued everyone into her strategy, which was just slowly building her case. And she's a trained lawyer. It's, it's natural. But I I could tell that Meredith was trying to almost downplay that if she did have a level of annoyance because her seeing, quote, Mary's truest character does not then help her argument for the way she was this entire season because she really aligned herself with Mary. So I'm sure she's not trying to lean into the accusations of Mary as not the best person. When they cut to the Meredith, like asking Lisa each time, did I defend you this time? Did I defend you that, that time? You felt her lawyer come out because she was getting Lisa to say yes to those questions so that when they brought up the real big topic, it was like, you just said all these times that I stood up for you. What, like how, what do you say, think about that? The Lisa Meredith thing overall is so dark. It's really dark, especially because she saw that clip two days before. 
right in general it was dark just the demise of their friendship and like lisa just always consistently backpedaling to show that she was such a good friend when she probably wasn't and also her inability to apologize and like like even andy had to say to her at one point like lisa it's not landing it sucks because all things aside, I still like Lisa. I think there's a part of her that's iconic. I think she's really fun to watch. I think she'd be a good time to hang out with. I have qualities about her that I really enjoy. But the moments she loses me is, for example, in that conversation with Meredith when she's like, after my father died, I really didn't feel that you were there for me. And her instinct, her immediate go-to response is like, yes, I was. I was there for you. And those are just the moments where it's like, you have to meet someone where they're at. And Meredith was coming from an emotional place. So when you try to go back with receipts and logic, it just doesn't work. And I think that what everyone is so sensitive to, Andy included, is the fact that like she never takes a beat just to hear the other person because she listens to respond, not to really listen. And I don't love that quality in a person. That's exactly what Whitney said to her face when she was like, Lisa, I have a little advice. You have to just listen. Like, don't say anything because her immediate, her instinct is to just go on the defense and like throw out facts and throw out what she did right. And sometimes, most of the time, it's not the right way to go. And she is losing her battles because of it. I know. And honestly, I wonder if for her, it's frustrating almost. Like it's a part of herself that she wishes she could kind of change because I do believe she could. You know, that doesn't have to be her immediate reaction, but she's so on the defense because she's really sensitive to anything that could even be slightly taken as a character assassination. And so yeah. she ends up actually proving their points to be true because of her hyper defensiveness. And then in turn, that's what makes everybody think that she thinks that she's perfect because anytime anyone points out any even small things that she did wrong, she's so quick to say, no, I did this, I did that. This isn't true. This isn't true. Like you're not perfect and that's okay. But that's why everyone thinks that she thinks she's perfect and that nobody else is. There was a lot of feedback about Heather this reunion because I know what a lot of people feel is like, you are our MVP. You are our place of level-headedness and poise. And you kind of lost us on this particular reunion. And I think part of that was just because of how unnecessarily hard she was coming for Lisa over and over. But the one point she made that I actually thought was true, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this, not the one thing, there were other points she made that I felt were true, was when they were asking her the question about like, you riled up Lisa by saying that Meredith wasn't a friend to her. And I thought she was honest in her response of saying, listen, if you compare the way that Meredith was to Lisa to the way that I was to Jen, which I know is self-praising, but it's true. She's like, yeah, in that moment, I had a sense of empathy for Lisa because I could understand how she was feeling. And I believe her when she says that. Yeah, maybe some of it was pot stirring, but I actually thought when she explained it like that, it didn't make her look bad. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? No. And I think she has that level of honesty that Lisa Barlow needs where, yeah, does it make her look a little bad when she admits something? Maybe like, you know, her intentions and she's not always perfect 100% of the time, but explaining her real honest thought process. It's like, that's more of what we need. And I agree. I think it, it was such a fair and valid point and argument and also made her look like honest and not super quote guilty. Yes. And I think most people would disagree with this. Like I, as I say it, I, I realize it sounds like a very naive take. I'm aware of that. But there is a part of me that thinks Heather does want to connect with Lisa. Like I don't think that she wishes for her demise in the way that she's appearing to on the reunion, because I think that Heather feels that somewhere in Lisa, she has the potential to be more of a girl's girl. 
I think most people would say, no, fuck it. She, she wants Lisa to crash and burn and that would be almost revenge for her. I still think on some level she thinks that there could be a friendship there, but I think I'm just being maybe naive and optimistic. I think after their trip to what was the most recent trip, Zion, mm-hmm. after they were kind of getting along and almost on the same quote team and she saw like, okay, there's something in there. Like there is a girl who I could get along with. And I do actually agree with some of her points, perhaps. I think she has a little bit more of like a soft side for her, even though I don't think it's necessarily going to last. I don't foresee them ever being like such close, good friends because they have so many qualities that really, I think, butt heads. But I Mm -hmm. also think that she is smart enough to see into the future and see that even past all this bullshit, it's possible that Lisa and Meredith are still friends again. And it's possible that Lisa and Jen stay really good friends for a long time. And those are people that Heather really, really cares about and doesn't want to be a part of anything to hurt them. So, you know, I think she's smart. I think it's it's strategy. And it's also long game of like, these are people in my life I care about. I don't want to ruin what I have with them over Lisa Barlow, who I don't really necessarily care about that much. Can I ask you a question? Sure. If you are Meredith, okay, try to put yourself in that perspective. So you've had a friend for 10 years. Maybe they always felt closer to you than you felt to them. But in general, you are family friends. There's a lot of history there. That happens with her rant, right? The hot mic moment, quote, hot mic moment. Do you think you could ever, one, go back to fully normal? Or two, do you think that you could go back to a friendship and Maybe you would just have a wall up kind of for forever because you'd be on guard. Where do you think, it's a personal question. So you're not Meredith Marks, you're you. I'm curious what you and what the audience thinks about that. I couldn't go back because I think she didn't just go on a rant about like Meredith being a bitch, right? It was not, it was so deeper than like a normal housewife situation because it touched on every single thing. Like even what Andy said, it was a truth dump. It was about her husband. It was about her kids. It was about her livelihood. It was about her house. It was about her sleeping with people. It was about her being a bitch. And like, basically it felt like this is what I've always thought about her. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't just about like, I fucking hate her. Like, you know, it, it wasn't an in the moment thing. Everything she said, I get it. She was in a moment of heat and rage. And I think she literally blacked out, but those thoughts are in there. So to hear them, how could you ever go back? How could you ever look at her sitting across the table from you at like a Shabbat dinner and think this woman, I know her deepest, darkest thoughts about me. I think you know that in life, your friends all have thoughts about you that they would never, ever say to you. So to actually hear them, how do you have a friendship like that? I think that they could maybe get to a place where they're cordial and they could film together and they could maybe have fun together. But I don't think again, that they'll I don't think their friendship was strong enough to begin with. Like, yes, I think they were technically friends for 10 years and they loved each other. They met each other's like families and siblings, but I don't think it was actually that strong and important to them, at least to Meredith, where they would need to do the healing to get back to where they were. Like, I don't think it's like if you and I somehow got into this situation, I think it was more surface level and just not necessary to both of them to like continue living. 
Yeah, well, definitely not to Meredith. I don't know. I, I agree with you. There's no world in which I could go back to that because I think I could if this was a fight. I mean, hypothetically speaking, it never happened that I got into with my best friend in person and we're screaming at each other mm-hmm. or she's screaming at me. It's like that I can understand and that I can respect. It's like you have a moment of rage and you're taking it out on me directly. The fact that it was behind my back, but also to millions of people, that is where I think. I don't think I could come back from that. Not because I couldn't forgive. I just think I've always, always said this. I say this probably every episode. Safety is the number one most important thing in life. I think it's like the greatest currency we have. And how is Meredith supposed to feel safe now? No, she never could again. I I don't really see how it happens. But also the point someone made, oh, what was it? Oh, about like Lisa was so upset when Jen was yelling at her when she was on the phone in the car with her kids. And Meredith's like, how do you think I feel? This was to everybody. And then, oh my God, this was crazy. I couldn't believe that they had thoughts that this was on purpose, that she did this on purpose, said it on camera on purpose, like the way that she gives the mic back. She's like, no, I had no idea. I thought it was off. I couldn't believe that that was even a theory that they had. What do you think about that? I think no way. I don't think she would ever want to look that bad. And I don't think she would want to have to apologize for it. I don't think she would want Meredith to hear it. I don't think she would say things about her family and kids if she knew she was still miked. I I really don't. Like, I think she has really bad qualities and some things are really like conniving and manipulative, but I do not think that this is something that she would come up with, especially in that moment of being so upset. There's no freaking way. Do you think that? I don't think that it was on purpose. Like, I don't think she consciously saw she had a microphone and was like, okay, let me say all this shit to make Meredith look bad. I think it's possible she realized she had the mic on and she just like didn't care because she was so overwhelmed by it. So I think Mm -hmm. in my mind, the two possibilities are either she thought the mic was off or she knew it was on, but was just kind of so overtaken by the moment that she almost didn't care. I, I know people disagree. A lot of people do think it was intentional. The reason that I don't is because nothing she said about Meredith was bad enough that the audience would get on board with hating Meredith and liking Lisa Ford. It wasn't like she said, Meredith frauds people out of so much money. She's a terrible human being. It's like what she was saying were things that Meredith did in her own life that don't affect anyone. Like, okay, her and her husband maybe cheat on each other. Her house is rented. Her family poses. That's not stuff that's going to get the audience to turn. It only makes Lisa look worse. And that's why, strictly from a strategy perspective, I don't think Lisa would do that to herself because she looks out for herself more than anyone else. So it's not like, to be clear, it's not that I don't think she would have done that to Meredith. I don't think she would have done that to herself because you see in this reunion and later on, she's saying to the producers, you guys really fucked me. Now every single person can use this one clip as a reason to prove their point about me. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about from this reunion? I'm not, I don't even think we get into the Cameron stuff. Like I do not have time to sit here and evaluate whether or not he was on the Foster Utah board. The First of all, the man has passed away. Second of all, it's irrelevant to me to the whole storyline. I agree with you. It's so sad. It's like so fucked up. How did we get here? Again, also with Mary not sitting there, I can't go back and forth about maybe they had a affair. Maybe they didn't. Maybe he did this. Maybe he didn't. Like that's what we need her there for. And without her, it's just sort of like everyone talking about it with no clear cut answer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Summer house. Yes. Yes. 
so Mother's Day is coming up. And I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. Obviously, the bulk of Kyle's speech happened last episode, but at the beginning of this one, we're starting to see the aftermath. And the only way that I know how to describe Amanda's overall emotion was like deeply intensified embarrassment I was going to say sheer panic. Yes. And I very much got where she was coming from. Like if I were her, I would have been blown away by that entire display. And of course, you know, if you want to map it out, I'm very much more so on her side and the rest of the girls. But I can't lie to you and say that I didn't understand where Kyle was coming from. Like it was poor timing. It was not the way to do it. But I think he felt like he had the mic and he was going to make his point heard. I was getting a little nervous though, I have to admit, because I think last week we said, they handled this all so healthy. Kyle didn't feel any resentment towards the girls for bringing this up. He really like used it as an opportunity to look in the mirror and have a conversation with Amanda. And he recognized like they want the best for all of them, blah, blah, blah. But then now that a little time has passed and he's starting to say to Amanda, like your bridal party shouldn't be telling you to push your wedding and like they should, you know, be so excited for us, blah, blah, blah. I started to feel the resentment come in and I don't want him to start like making I don't want him to start creating tension between her and the bridal party and and almost gaslighting of like, how could they say that to you? These are your bridesmaids. It's like, that is a you problem. If you make her happy and you are not such a dick to her, they would be, they will be there with, with bells on. Like they will be running down the aisle. Like she says, it's not about you. It's about your behavior. So if you make it right and they are excited to be there, they will be excited to be there. 
Like he, he didn't understand that it's not about like, oh, we just don't want you mad at Kyle. We want you to be happy and only put up with the best. Yeah. And I think that what happened was in the moment, like when he's standing by those lounge chairs and he's kind of hearing Amanda explain what happened, he got it. it. He was so in the moment. And then after having a little time to reflect, I think he's like, wait a second, we're getting married in 40 days and you guys are pulling this shit. Again, I don't agree with him. I very much understood where they were coming from. And if I was Paige and Amanda's my best friend and I saw what was going down, I probably would have had a very similar conversation. But you could tell that Kyle just like had time to process it and was like, wait a damn minute. I wonder how this will affect Paige and Kyle's relationship. Because now it's like the extra pressure of like, you are in our bridal party, but you're also telling her, you know, cut the cord. It it definitely creates some tension. I think they're filming Winter House right now. That will be interesting to see after the wedding, how they all react and how they, you know, like I could very much see Kyle, even though everything went through and Paige was there and they showed up and it was amazing. I could see him possibly drinking and confronting her and being like, you almost ruined my wedding. Like that would be so on brand. It's funny because I would really hope that's not the case. And I have enough faith in their relationship, kind of like the three of them, almost how I feel about Carl, Kyle, and Amanda. It's different because with Carl, he's more integrated, but I feel like Kyle has so much respect for Paige that it probably wouldn't get to that. But yes, I'd be lying if I said, you know, 10 shots in, it maybe wouldn't come out. I I, I think it's possible. Oh my God. And then Craig there like defending Paige. Are you kidding me? I immediately want to talk about Craig and Paige on her couch stop right this second when the scene opens to them in bed and he's getting out of the shower and she's in that little green outfit I was like I am obsessed with you guys no I'm obsessed I'm literally obsessed I think they're so hot they're so cute I love seeing how their relationship built because I think that is such a fun part of it and to know how well it works out and how serious they are now it's like just so cute and flirty and I I like, you know what? I like the drama. I won't even lie. I don't want her to cry, obviously, but I have to say the way that this all came to be was such a crazy way that it would have been, it would have been like too easy if it didn't have all this shit. Like, of course he's hooking up with Kristen Cavallari still. Of course she wants to kiss Andrea while they're like playing a game at a bondage party. Like, of course, of course, of course. And that is why I love their relationship so much because it came about in this way. Wait, one moment that I want to bring up, and I didn't rewatch the scene, so I, I honestly don't know, but I know you and I had a difference in opinion on this, and you could completely be right. I'd have to rewatch it. But when Paige and Amanda are getting ready in the mirror, and it's the camera shot from like the ceiling, and Amanda says something, and she's like, it's always been Craig for me. And Paige goes, duh. I, watching that the first time, thought she was saying like, in choosing between Andrea and Craig, it's always been Craig. And then Paige was like, yeah, of course. You thought she was saying, I'm not a huge fan of Austin. Between Austin and Craig, it's always been more Craig, right? Confirming that's what she thought. Yes, like like Craig is the clear winner between the two of them. Right. And you are probably right because I have to rewatch the scene. But for 30 seconds, let's suspend reality and just think that he's she's talking about Andrea. Paige's response is so immediately saying, duh, even if she really was talking about Austin, in my mind is exactly how I viewed this. Like, okay, Andrea is this fun little plot line that's going to take ourselves through the first few weeks of summer. But then it's like, when push comes to shove, my desert island pick, it's Craig any day of the week. Andrea, though, has been so fucking cute and mature. I cannot get over it. Like, I don't know if he actually in real life was like that or if it's just now in hindsight, but either way, 
what a sweetie. Like, I feel bad for him almost because I think watching back, he'll realize he never stood a chance. But I really, we got to just like give it up for Andrea because he's really the MVP. And I think his behavior towards us, I think he's a girlfriend now, but I think just his overall attitude is so just amazing. Like he was willing to say like, you know what? I didn't win the battle or like I got to step away. And I'm ha- so happy for Paige. I love her. I love Craig. He's one of my really good friends. Clearly him and Austin are really good friends. Like I just love him. But yes, regardless of what the question was in that moment, her saying duh to choosing Craig is like, that's all we need to know. Whether it's about Austin or whether it was about Andrea, it was like Craig wins, duh. I want to talk about Lindsay, Sierra, Austin, because this was an absolute shit show. Oh my God. I Sierra and Lindsay have never really liked each other. I think they just do not get along, like their personality types which is fine. So then when Austin comes in the mix and they're literally being so territorial and fighting about it. And I think Lindsay still has, Lindsay has Marisol energy. Very Mm -hmm. like, OG, this is my house. This is my show. I run the show. Like, who the fuck do you think you are? And that's okay. Like, that's why we love her. But then when Austin comes in and she like finds out or knows that Sierra said like, I don't want him sleeping in Lindsay's room. Are you kidding me? Do you remember a few months ago when Danielle and Lindsay were on Watch What Happens? And I believe Andy asked a question to the effect of who was the least fun in the house and they both said Sierra? Yes. So it's not that I had any confusion about how they arrived at that answer. Like I understood that from the beginning, they never really got along. But what you're watching now is really the build of that. And it's like, okay, maybe they didn't love each other. Maybe they were kind of distant. But this whole situation was the nail in the coffin. Right. So it's like that is how we got there. We're seeing it now. Like I could not even imagine in the beginning of the season or when we saw the trailer how we got to that point. And now I understand because Danielle and Lindsay are like a package deal. Like she will go to bat for her. And I also think that Danielle and Lindsay are similar, whereas they and they butt heads with Sierra. So it's it's so watching it now start to build and also that Austin is like the catalyst for a lot of this drama is absolutely insane. Well, the Austin thing was just never going to end well because it's two positions. Like take out who the people are, remove Lindsay and Sierra from the equation for a second. A person you consider to be your best guy friend that there's also sexual tension with. And then scenario two is a person who you were hooking up with and still have unresolved feelings for coupled with a lot of sexual tension. Like both of those scenarios are ones that are really emotionally charged ones. So then you have both of those people with those individual scenarios in a house together coupled with a guy who is incredibly flirtatious and gives everyone mixed messages. Like that is a recipe not only for disaster, but also for brilliant television. Oh, it's an absolute disaster. But I also think it wasn't fair of Lindsay, although I get where she was coming from, to clearly lie when Sierra and her had that conversation outside about like what's going on, what's happened with you in the past. You know, I, I want to know because I think Lindsay said, fuck it. I don't know you anything. Like I can tell you, I don't have to tell you everything. And it's so clear that she didn't tell her everything. And Sierra came to her really wanting to know. And I don't think Lindsay viewed her enough as a friend or as someone that she feels that she owes anything to, to not tell her the truth. I'm not saying that like they were completely hooking up, but I think after Craig made that comment about like Lindsay and Austin have been sleeping together for four years, even though they were dating other people, her you know, her red flag sort of went up like, okay, what the hell is going on here? So then for him to arrive and this be the attitude she's giving about him being there, it's like, 
of course there was something going on with you guys. Look how you're behaving. No, I know. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if you really put yourself in either of their shoes, you can understand where the jealousy came from, even though it wasn't handled perfectly on either side. It does make sense to me. And I think the thing that really complicates things is like, let's say that Lindsay and Austin's relationship was 100% platonic. It would be drama-filled as is. I mean, the fact that you have this best friend you feel so connected to, they're coming to celebrate your birthday. And then there's this girl in the house who you don't know that well, who doesn't know him that well, but they've had a sexual history. Already that complicates things. Once you add in the layer that Lindsay has feelings for Austin and they have hooked up and there is a sexual energy there, I mean, it's literally worst case scenario. I know I keep saying that, but it's the only way I know how to describe it. You couldn't make this up. You couldn't wish this for Summer House if you even tried. So it's like, this is the definition of what Summer House is all about. And I absolutely love it. And you're right. I do see both sides. So I think that makes it as a viewer, almost more enjoyable because like when Sierra talks, I agree with her. I get why, you know, he's coming in. They've had such a thing. They really have this like whirlwind little romance in Vermont and that sticks with her. And then if I'm Lindsay, I also understand like I am his best friend. We talk all the time. Of course he's sleeping in my room. Like also just knowing Lindsay's personality, that's sort of how she operates. Like it's just, oh, it's the best thing ever. And now I'm so excited to watch it blow up. I am so excited to watch it blow up. I can't even lie. I mean, also because the person that we're talking about here is Austin, who is notorious. Right. Right. Like he's notorious for getting himself in these situations and he's so messy. He is so goddamn messy and sloppy and it's fun. It's why he's fun to watch, but he makes every situation so much worse. Whereas let's say hypothetically speaking, Carl got himself into this situation, which in a really funny way, he kind of did. Like when you actually now consider the history, like it never got to that, but looking back, like him and Lindsay had such an intense friendship. Now they're hooking up. He was hooking up with Sierra. Like it is funny actually when you make that comparison, but if this was Carl in Austin's shoes, he would have never handled it as sloppily as Austin did. So like his personality contributes to this entire thing tenfold. I know. And I know I always say like, I have such a crush on Austin, but like, I don't think he's worth this. This is like a lot of hullabaloo over a guy named Austin. Like it just, It's also funny because it's our Austin. Like, we know him. Like, he is not just a random guy that came in or even, like, a new season person. He is a crossover from another show completely unrelated to this one. I know. But it's like, you guys are fighting over Kroll the Warrior King, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And also, what what I kept wanting to say to Lindsay is, like, I so get where you're coming from, but I promise you in a few months... Carl, who is so clearly the MVP of this entire house, is going to be yours. So, like, don't don't sweat this. He's not worth it. Like, you're basically husband, father of your children is watching this go down. So just tread lightly. Oh, my God. Forget it, Isabel. He got a front row seat to all of her shit over the years. And by the way, she got a front row seat to his. Like, the Carl we see now was not the Carl in the beginning seasons of Summer House. And I think evolution is phenomenal. I celebrate that for him. But let's call it like it is. He was not always this mature and level-headed and easy to have a conversation with, you know? And so the fact that they both have seen all of their shit and just love each other for who they are speaks volumes. Completely, Yes. Wait, one thing we just have to quickly mention because we always say how much we love these little moments because we really only get them on Summer House when Austin and Sierra are in the room and he's like, I want to eat you from front to back. <gasps> no. And they you break the die? fourth wall. When they break the fourth wall and she's like, Austin, on camera. And he like looks and he's like, oh shit, I forgot. 
Those are the moments that I am obsessed with. Obsessed. I was flipping the fuck out. Wait, I'm really trying to remember. Was it Winter House when there was another night? Yes, it was Winter House when Paige and Andrea and Sierra and Austin were all in the hot tub together. And we were like, wait a second. This is so much more intense than we typically get on Bravo. Like it's a little bit soft porn-esque and we're loving it. Similar vibes. I loved every second of it. And I love seeing like when they really actually think that their guard is down and that no one's watching and we are. And also, I just love to see what Austin's into, you know? Can't lie. Oh, my God. Yeah, listen. We'll take anything we can get. Okay, let's go to Jersey. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like, generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically, when I'm buying something or paying for a service... I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor, it's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Just to get this point out before we get into anything else, I think that we should just have this as the caveat to like any discussion on Real Housewives of New Jersey ever, which is Teresa and Joe are just never going to see eye to eye on having one another's back. And continually analyzing this is exhausting me. It's really exhausting because I can't imagine how they feel, but we've been watching this fight for a decade and it will never resolve because it's just who they are fundamentally. Their brains are not wired the same way. And as many times as they can say it and they can talk it out and they can get in fights and they cannot talk and they can talk about their parents, it will never, ever align, ever. And it's so sad because I think they both in their hearts do want it to, but it will it will never happen. No, it won't. And there is a lot of hypocrisy. Of course. She's not going to see it. And you know what? Trying to get her to see it is just not a battle worth fighting. It makes everything else less enjoyable. It's kind of like, are you if you're choosing to be friends with someone and in their case they don't even have the choice because they're related you have to just accept them with their flaws unless the flaws are absolute deal breakers for you it's like you can't expect someone's going to change Teresa's not changing no she's never going to change they're both too stubborn and set in their ways that i just don't ever see this getting to a place where they see eye to eye and i really think as sad as it is 
they almost need to have like a surface level relationship where they love each other, they see each other, they talk about things, but it can't go this deep because every time it does, it completely blows up in their face every single time without fail. I know, I know. I want to talk about Jennifer and Dolores at her house. Yes. I know there was a lot of conversation online about Jennifer having this conversation in front of her daughter. I just don't feel like comfortable to really comment on that because I don't know their relationship. Like I'm not going to criticize her choice as a parent and what was appropriate to discuss in front of her or not, you know? Right. I do think though, it is so interesting and you actually can feel the aftermath of how big of a deal this was that Marge revealed this secret when Jennifer is now having to say, I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my sister. I didn't tell my kids. Nobody knew. So now it's almost like she's to go around because Margaret brought out this secret. And of course it will be on the show. It's different than if this had just happened in like someone's normal real life and maybe they could shield it from everybody, but it's going to be on national television. So now she almost has to go around and do damage control all these years later where she has kind of pushed it to the back and never thought it would have to come out. She now is doing something she never thought she'd have to do and dealing with it in real time before other people hear about it. Like she wants to be the one to tell people. Right. And I understand that. I mean, listen, I said this last week. I go on Twitter and I feel like I just watched a completely different show because people on Twitter adore Jennifer. And I can't say that I really do. Like a hundred million percent Margaret was wrong. And I stand by that. I think this was a, a really mean thing to do. Although if the roles were reversed, I think Jennifer would have done it in a heartbeat if she found out this information from 10 years ago. I mean, she was the one that was admittedly digging to Frank. So yes, I think Jennifer would have done it. It's still two wrongs don't make it right. It doesn't make what Margaret did better, but it is interesting to see the way that Jen is dealing with this. And the one thing you have to say about her is that her hurt is not at all exaggerated to make Margaret look worse. I think everything that she's going through is actually what she's going through because, and we saw this, I guess it was last week or two weeks ago, there was a level of shame that she felt, which is really sad and unfortunate that Bill did something wrong and then she took on the shame and embarrassment and guilt from that. But that's kind of what happened. And so she was sitting with it in the dark for 10 years. I mean, do you know what happens when you sit in isolation with something like that? And so now we are literally watching what she would have processed 10 years ago because it never came out. It's very, very rare that you get that. It's it's so sad. I really feel sad for her. I do. I can't even lie. Like, I think we've had a lot of issues with Jennifer. I don't think she handles things well. And whatever. You can have your shit with someone, but I just feel really bad. And especially this week, having to really put yourself in her shoes and see like, okay, this is now what she's going through as a direct result of what happened. Like we get to process it with her and you're right. I don't think it's all like put on for Margaret to just feel bad. I think this is genuinely her reaction. I actually think she's acting really strong and still has her shit together so well, given the circumstances. I had a realization about Jennifer this week when I I think I was watching maybe her confessional because she can be really, really mean and she hits really below the belts. And it's not like people are blind to that. But I think she sometimes gets away with it at times. Like I'm just speaking strictly about the Jersey cast because her actual voice, I know it sounds crazy, her actual voice is not as grating as someone like Teresa's or Margaret's. She has like <laughs> a very, I know it sounds crazy, but she has kind of a sweet voice. And I swear to God, I think that that helps her case in terms of the audience perception. I think like she is a good storyteller almost like Mm -hmm. she has just like a way about the way that she speaks and like delivers things, obviously not when she's in like 
one of her uh, crazier moments, like with Melissa and going on a ramp. But just when she's having a conversation, I agree with you. I think, I don't know. Yeah, there's something there's something so likable about her, even when she's being so unlikable. I know. And that's how she gets away with it. Because if you really boil down what she's doing, she's not in the right. I mean, I know a lot of people disagree with that, but I personally don't think that she is this like heaven sent person that Twitter thinks, but she's not dealing with the cast that is, that is heaven sent either. I mean, people, these people are really out for blood. No, it's, it's really crazy. It was so upsetting when Dolores was getting that phone call and the fact that she felt like she couldn't go to the hospital because of David. That was so sad to me because I never would have envisioned it to get there. You know, I really, that was surprising to me. I don't judge her for it at all. I'm just saying I would have not had foreseen that happening. Also because it is so unlike Dolores to like be afraid of someone. Like not that I think she's afraid of David, but didn't want to see him that badly that she was willing to let the rest of her family take her mother in for testing. Like if you had asked me last week, would this ever be a situation? I would say, hell no. Dolores would march right in there. Her family comes first. She would make sure David was on top of it, regardless of their status. I also thought it was kind of interesting that David went down the shore and is staying with Frank and also is still continuing conversations with her children, but that they have not had any contact. It is interesting. And it kind of does make sense. Like there was no part of me that felt like David was going to just disappear from this family. He was in deep. The kids love him. Frank loves him. He's a stand-up guy. I think the reason we're seeing Dolores take more of a backseat is because it's a rare time of emotional vulnerability. You know, she has no problem marching right in or getting right in there when her emotions aren't kind of taking over and she's not feeling really sad. Like, yeah, when she's angry, that's one thing. When she's upset or she feels she has to defend her friend or her family, that's one thing. But when it's really just like a overwhelming feeling of sadness and kind of mourning the loss of the relationship, you see her revert back to a far more, I don't want to say shy, but a far less dominant personality. Yeah. I just can't believe that this has turned into the real house husbands of New Jersey. Like they're getting like, not just confessionals, but full scenes. This episode ended with a to be continued of the husbands. Do you realize how insane that is? It is insane. And I have to tell you, I love Evan. You know how much I love Evan. He's hands down my favorite husband, right? Yeah, but that's because he's hot. We don't know him that well. No, but just listen to me. In what world did him or anyone else at that table think that Bill was going to say, yes, what my wife did was indicative of her being a bad person? Even if he feels that way, he was never going to say it. And to expect that a husband is going to say that about their wife and them doing anything less than that is a bad friend is just an unfair and unhealthy expectation. Right. Of course. Of course. I felt... I hated this because I love when they get along. I really appreciate it. I just felt like what was happening with Evan was all of his anger that he had for Teresa was now kind of delayed and being taken out on Bill. And I understand he did have some upset at Jennifer because she dug as well. But I don't know. It's like, yeah, Bill fucked up with the cheating. We know that that was 10 years ago, but that's the only person he has to fight that battle with is Jen. He has not done anything wrong to the rest of them. If anything, no, he didn't quote, get her in line, but he also didn't defend her. I mean, when she was having that blow up with Melissa, he just stayed out of it. And I don't think it's fair for her to expect him to chime in. And I also don't think it's fair for the men to expect that in that moment, he's going to go against Jennifer. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm a Bill Aiden apologist. And I don't mean to be. I just don't think that anybody was setting fair expectations for him. 
I just can't believe he's there just sitting at dinner with Joe B after his wife just like literally like blew his life up. You know, it's really crazy. Like it's just, I don't know how that can even happen because it's not like Jennifer and Margaret would ever just sit down and have a happy dinner together, you know? No, it's crazy. But that's what I'm saying. It's like if their entire premise of their friendship is like whatever happens with our wives, fuck it because we're friends. You can't then flip that on its head just because you are all in unanimous belief that Jennifer was in the wrong. And I agree, she was in the wrong. But still, it's like if the entire principle of your friendship is based on the fact that you're going to stay out of it and let your wives have their issues, okay, now when you guys all think Jennifer was wrong, you can't get mad at Bill for not intervening. It has to be all or nothing. Right, exactly. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about this more next week. It was kind of I'm I am kind of sick of this at the same time I love watching these women do anything. Right. Totally, yes. The only thing I want to say from last week so see, like not this Wednesday, the previous Wednesday, is that that dinner and actually that entire evening with Jen and Ryan at the Dubros was one of the more uncomfortable I've ever felt watching Housewives. I was crawling out of my skin. I can't believe that was real because you're watching not only just Jen and Ryan like completely not getting along and that's all uncomfortable, but they're at like Heather's house with her two couple friends who don't know them, the whole thing. And then Jen getting so drunk. I, (laughs) they are just, they're just not it. They're not meant to be together and it's really sad. And he is, he's an odd duck for sure. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing was just really uncomfortable. And I think what I was getting the most uncomfortable with was that it was so clear that Jen was drinking more and more because she was so nervous about like bringing him into a social setting. Like I know that kind of sounds really simple and almost mean, but I think that that's exactly what was happening. Like the nature of their relationship in their marriage is not that they socialize with people typically. You know, she's kind of said that she's constantly working. He's always with the kids. He very infrequently likes to put on shoes or a shirt. So there was no crash course here and she wasn't even inching him in. It's like, we're going to go from you never engaging in any social situation with any of our couple friends to the fucking Dubrow's house. It was like his Nike socks were not prepared for her Hermes China. You know, we were on opposite ends of the spectrum here. And I felt like you could have at least gotten his feet wet before you just threw him in with no life vest. It was like going to the Olympics with no training. And I think it probably came off to the other dinner party guest as like, oh, she always talks over him. She doesn't let him get a word. He's just shy. But it's really that she's just so embarrassed by him. And I don't really think he knows how to behave, which is fine, like in a social setting like that. But overall really sad. I don't think he likes Jen at all. I think she was definitely drinking to make up for like whatever sort of lack of fun that they were having or just, you know, drink away her sorrows. And I I don't know where we go from here. I really don't. But can I tell you the one thing that bothers me the most out of everything? Every time (laughs) that Jen tries to tell someone that his name is Ryan, R-Y-N-E, she says like the orange. And I just want to say, Jen, that's a rind with an N-D. Like she, it not only is the whole thing already so bizarre that his name is Ryan, but he changed it to Rhine. She also was saying it's like an orange rind. And that is a different word also. So now I think Heather's friends are calling him rind, like the peel of a lemon or an orange. And it's like, uh, as if this situation isn't bizarre already, like what is going on here? Like you're saying that if she wants to use that as her example, she needs to say like an orange rind without the D. But like, like, 
Ryan isn't a word. It's like, yeah, just like it's Ryan without the D. No. <laughs> I don't know. I think just to get back to the conversation for one moment and, and then we will end this is like, I understand why Jen feels embarrassed. At the same time, this is who you married. He's not changing. This is who this guy is. Could I ever be married to him? Absolutely not. But you know what? It's him. You can't change who a person is. At his core, this is what he likes. This is what he doesn't like. And it's like, if you're going to be married to him, you got to commit to the role because bringing him around and being so outwardly and clearly embarrassed about him, it's sad for you and it's sad for him. Yes. And if it is too embarrassing, then he's just not your guy. Because to live in a perpetual state of embarrassment about your significant other is so fucked up for all parties involved. And it makes everyone else feel so uncomfortable. And like, she has every right to not want to be married to someone like this, but just make a decision one way or another because it's not fair. Yeah, they've got to split up. I, I see potential in both of them and it's just not together. Yeah. Anyway, what a time. I had fun. Did you have fun? I had the best time. Okay, we love you guys and we'll see you next week. Bye.